I love the story about the man who was camping out in the hills of North Carolina, and late at night he took a little walk away from his campsite, miscalculated, and fell over the side of a steep cliff. And as he was falling down the face of the cliff, he was madly reaching out for something to hold on to and to break his fall. Finally, he grabbed a little sapling that broke his fall, and he was able to steady himself on that sheer face of the cliff. And in desperation, he called out, Is there anyone up there? And a voice rang out and said, Trust in me. Let go. And the man thought for a few moments about what he was told. And he desperately looked up again and said, Is there anyone else up there? (laughs) We've been studying the uh, letter of Paul to the Galatians. Because of some people who came to Galatia and caused a great disturbance within the church by trying to impose different things upon this congregation. Now, this morning I'm going to stick to the script that I wrote because there are things that I want to make sure I say to you. And when I'm freewheeling, I tend to wander a bit. (laughs) And what I have to say, I think, is something that we all need to hear. In 20 minutes, I'm going to try to condense the whole journey through Scripture, Old and New Testament, and show you how that consistent teaching tells us exactly what this story was about and what our study of Galatians is all about. And that's about obedience to God. See, there's a little bit more to the story that I told you. After the man asked if there's anyone else up there and no one answered, he clung to that cliff all night long and used every bit of energy and strength he had to keep himself from falling. He held on all during the night, and when the morning sun arose, he looked down, and much to his surprise, he saw that he was only about eight or ten feet off the ground. Which means that if he had of listened to God's word to him of letting go he would have saved himself right away. But because he felt he had to do it his way and have assurance of it, he clung all night long to that cliff. Now, to understand Paul's concern about the Judaizers who caused such dissension in the churches of Galatia, we need to understand how and why the law was given to us and why its observance was so important to the Hebrew people. 
to do this, one has to go all the way back to the beginning of human history. Through that branch of natural science known as anthropology, the study of the development of mankind. How you and I came into the world in which we live. Mark Twain is reputed to have stated at one time that first God created man and then man returned the favor. You have to think about that for a moment because while Twain intended it to be humorous, it actually is very accurate. You see, the scientific study of the evolvement of human society reveals that when unenlightened man encountered uncontrollable forces in his world, such as earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, and lightning strikes, he attributed that power to super beings that he referred to as gods and attempted to appease those gods by bribing them with gifts of things that he regarded as valuable, such as his food crops, prized animals, works of art, and yes, even human life. The belief in the multiplicity of gods who possess power over man is called polytheism, the existence of many gods. And it was the condition of things on this earth until the one true God interjected himself into human history and revealed his true nature as a loving God who desired to bless mankind and better his life. And we read that entire account in the Bible. According to biblical reckoning, and independently verified by the sciences of anthropology and archaeology, that event occurred approximately 2,000 years before the birth of Christ. When God revealed himself to a man in the east called Abraham, and he revealed himself to be a loving God, who wished to bless Abraham and through Abraham all the peoples of the world. God instructed Abraham to leave his polytheistic culture and pagan practices and to worship him alone as the one true and only God. Abraham agreed. And at that moment, monotheism came into the world. 
The Hebrew Bible records those events in the oldest part of their Bible, which they refer to as the Torah, the teachings, which for us are the five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. There, in those books, we read this epic story of the beginning of our salvation as traced through the family line of this man, Abraham. Abraham made a covenant with God. And according to the terms of that agreement, Abraham would turn away from his former polytheistic heritage and serve only the one true God in exchange for which God promised to make his descendants great and a powerful nation from which one day God would bring a savior, a Messiah, whom all the nations, through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. To begin this process, God led Abraham and his family to a new land, which we know today as Israel. And there he and all of his descendants were required to disassociate themselves from all the neighboring tribes around them and to follow a new religious and social order which God revealed to them. And the goal of this entire process was focused on the promise of a Savior, a Messiah, who would bring the ultimate blessing to all of Abraham's descendants who faithfully followed this new life and through them to all the peoples of the earth. The record of this unique relationship is found in the rest of the Old Testament books from Joshua through Malachi. And the clear and consistent message through all 39 of these Old Testament books is that when man was faithful to God, he prospered. And when he was not, he failed. The New Testament begins with the Gospels, which chronicle the life, teachings, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, and declare him to be that long-awaited promised Messiah of God. He taught with authority, declaring himself to be the Son of God, and backing up, his, backing up his teachings with miraculous signs and wonders. He further declared that his teachings in no way contradicted the ancient laws and prophets, but were in fact the correct fulfillment of those promises. He likewise promised to send the Spirit of God to, to, uh, 
continue his work by empowering and guiding his followers to share the gospel with all the people of the earth until he returned to establish his kingdom. The Acts of the Apostles chronicles the coming of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of his followers, and the unprecedented success of the gospel as it spread across national and cultural lines throughout the first century. The various epistles reflect the growth problems the Christian church faced in trying to maintain orthodoxy while applying the teachings of the gospel to the various nations and cultures and situations of human life. Continuing through to the book of Revelation, which offered encouragement during times of persecution and gave assurance of the final victory of the gospel over the world. Now, if all of this is true, and if we as 21st century Christians purport to believe that it is true, then the clear and consistent message of mankind's relationship with God tells us three things. First, that the Old Testament relates the way in which God took the initiative in laying out a plan for the salvation of the world by sending his Son to atone for our sins. Second, that the New Testament declares that Jesus Christ is that Son of God, born of a woman who made that atonement by freely laying down his life in reparations for the sins of all men through all times. And third, that our salvation does not come from blindly following rules and regulations, but by accepting Jesus Christ as our one Lord and Savior. Now this poses a bit of a problem for people like us in present-day America. You see, we come out of a proud culture of rugged individualism. And that teaches us to stand on our own feet, bear our own share of the burden, and take responsibilities for our own lives. Now that makes for good politics, but it makes for very bad theology. God has already laid down the perfect plan for our salvation. And for us to reject God's plan and superimpose our own will is the height of audacity and is in fact idolatrous. 
Some religious writers like to say that we are now living in the in-between times, by which they mean that the Bible is the living word of God and is still unfolding in our present times, putting us in that biblical time between the Acts of the Apostles and the second coming, as declared in John's book of Revelation. Since Luke's chronicle, which we know as the Acts of the Apostles, ends with chapter 28, you will find some modern writers who like to refer to the present age as Acts 29, which means that that history of the church unfolding in the second century is continuing down through the centuries to our own time. and that we are actually living still in biblical times. That means that we need to see ourselves as our own struggles reflected in the church of Galatia and in all the other churches of the New Testament and obediently accept the resolutions offered by the writers of these epistles so that we can hold firm to the unchangeable word of God. I want you to recall that when we read scripture here in our worship, we introduce the readings of these letters from the apostles as the letter of Paul to the Galatians and to Christians everywhere. Us, here and now, and all across the present civilization in which we live. We need to hear those words of Scripture and how they resolve for us the problems that we deal with in life. And it all comes back to the same thing, as I've mentioned after the story of the man who fell from the cliff and chose not to follow the voice but to make his own decision on how to extricate himself from that situation. We're called to obedience, to accept God's word and God's plan as clearly laid out in the scriptures and there to be assured of our salvation. Toward that end, I beg you to emulate the words of Joshua, the man who took up the mantle of Moses and led the people of Israel into the land of Israel and then began that process of unfolding God's plan to us. Joshua had no idea of what lay ahead of him, had no idea of what problems he would encounter, but he knew and he realized from his own experience in going through the desert that faithfulness to God was the only solution to whatever they faced. And God gave them the direction and their job was to follow it. And so I close by offering you these words that have encouraged so many Christians and people of all faith throughout the centuries. 
where they've even taken these words and framed them and hung them in their own house as a dedication of their hopes. Before going into the promised land, Joshua said, I know not what others, who others may follow, but as for me and my family, we will follow the Lord. And that's where you and I stand right now. And we're called to obediently accept God's plan that he has laid out for us and that we know so well when we take the time to see it interconnected throughout Scripture. We will follow the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.